Unfortunately, before we... Hey, Isabella, can you... Uh, is my bottle of water down there? Can you throw that to me? Yeah, just toss it to me. She's, she's a volleyball player, so she can do this. See if I can... And I've got... I've got hands that are so huge that you can... It's unfortunate that I need to address this tragedy in Florida. But we need to pray for the families. So I want to show you these pictures of each one of these individuals. These are the 17 victims in Florida. And the reason I want us to show their pictures is because Jesus cares about every single one of them. They're all, I mean, God doesn't want anybody to perish. And each one of these people are in, the, in, in his heart. And so is everyone that they're connected to. Their moms, their dads, their brothers, their sisters, grandmas, grandpas, their children. And uh, <clears throat> I want to read their names to you as we pray for them. Alyssa Aladef, Scott Beagle, Martin Duquet, and Guiano, Nicholas Dorette. Aaron Face, Jamie Gutenberg, Chris Hickson, Luke Hoyer, Kara Longren, Gina Montalto, Joaquin Oliver, Aliana Petty, Meadow Pollock, Elena Ramsey, Alex Shaster, Carmen Shintrup, and Peter Wing. You know, people ask the question, I'm not, this isn't my message today, but uh, we would be seriously amiss if we did not address this tragedy as a spiritual community and pray for them. People say, well, how could God let something like this happen? The reality is evil will ultimately and completely one day be dealt with. But between now and then, we suffer evil. And uh, it's not always averted or diverted. And so we have to learn to navigate it in a godly way. And... Uh, one of the best scriptures for a time such as this is Psalm 34:18. It says, God is very near those who are broken in heart and crushed in spirit. God is very near right now to these families who are truly broken in heart and crushed in spirit. And there's two things we can do in a time like this. One, we mourn. Empathy is one of the most powerful healing agents on earth. That we mourn with these families. And there's a promise in the Bible that those who mourn shall be comforted. And that is Christ coming in the time of pain and suffering in a way that only Jesus can come and truly minister to these families. So let's pray for them right now and then we'll talk about the next thing that we can do in times of tragedy. So... Why don't you just reach your hands toward the faces here and we're praying for their families and everybody who's ministering to God. We pray for these precious souls who you know deeply and intimately because you created them. We pray, God, for their families, their moms, their dads, their husbands, their wives, their brothers, their sisters, their cousins, their children. Lord Jesus, we pray that your kingdom come and your will be done. We pray that you send labors across their path, Lord, to... Introduce Jesus to these family members so they can find comfort where there is none. So they can truly claim the passage that says they sorrow, but not like those who have no hope. We pray for a wave of your divineness to crash upon the shores of that community. And we pray that what Satan has meant for evil, you turn to good. And that out of death, life will spring forth. And hundreds will come to your son, Jesus through this dark, painful tragedy. God, do what only You can do in this situation and resurrect this community with the power of the Gospel. We pray for every pastor of every church to be filled with compassion and yet boldness, proclaiming the only answer for any city, and that is Your Son, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. The second thing you can do is you can get involved with young people. We all can. There's uh, two ways we're doing it. One is, as you know, 
I'm in a relationship with uh, the high school principals here in Powell Unified School District. We've actually become friends. And the churches and the schools have collaborated. We do parenting forms. We've had over 3,000 parents come to our forums. I do them, some of them right here in this auditorium. And we talk to them about their relationship with their kids and how to bridge the gap. Um, another thing that you can do is uh, I just met with the principals just recently and I asked them another question, the same question I asked them eight years ago when we first met. And that is, how can Christians in this city serve you, the high school principals and the public school system? And I was uh, having a coke with one of the principals recently because I just wanted to meet with him personally, representing you and the churches in the region. And I said, how can the churches serve you? And he says, well, I know what every principal would say. And I don't think the church could do anything about this. I said, what is it? He said, there's a massive gulf between the immigrants and the um, the refugees that come into our school system uh, and the high achieving students. He said, there's a massive gulf between these two classes of people. And he says, I have 200 students in my library every Monday and Wednesday night that need tutoring in the area of math and biology and another subject. I can't remember what it was, but there's a few that are hardcore. And I said, what do you mean the churches couldn't help you with that? Are you serious? I said, we have professors and teachers and physicists and mathematicians. And we have, te- we have people in our congregations that could flood your library and help elevate these students and mentor them. He said, really? I said, absolutely. So I brought it to the principals, the larger group of principals just last week, and they also we would love to see the churches collaborate with the schools and help mentor these students to the next level. So so that's how we're getting involved. There's a there's when the Columbine shooting happened, to give you another example of how you can get involved, a pastor in Colorado resigned the pastorate of his church and he started a ministry called Dare to Share and he works with teenagers on how to share the gospel. With good news with other teenagers, because he knows evil is here to stay until Jesus returns. And the only hope for any soul is for them to give their life to Jesus Christ. That's our eternal hope. And so he literally resigned his church so he could teach teenagers how to lead other teenagers to Christ. And that leads us right into today's message, which is a continuation of our series called No Place Left. And that's as you and I share the gospel and our circle of influence with the people you and I know. You don't know my neighbors. You don't know most of my friends. I don't know yours. And so we each have to take responsibility over our circles of influence and learn how to effectively share the good news with every one of them if possible because the Bible's clear. God is not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should come to know his son, Jesus. Does anybody have a coin in your pocket? A coin, a a quarter, a dime. I know Mark's always got change in his pocket. All right, just throw, throw, oh, this is not, okay, I'm coming down for this one. I don't trust Mark. I trust my daughter, but. You know Jesus did that just for you, Mark. So, and Christianity is a lot like this coin where we come to Christ and we say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And that's the front of the coin. But in the exact same breath, when Jesus said, come follow me, he also said what? And I will teach you how. To be fishers of men and women. And so you see, Christianity is a two-sided coin. You can't separate this coin. It's one and the same. Yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And I will help others follow you too. That is Christianity. But evangelism, you know, whenever we do a series on evangelism, I know it's so confrontational, so uncomfortable. And our society is becoming less and less palatable. The gospel is becoming less and less palatable to our to our culture. And I understand that. But that that's irrelevant because you and I are ambassadors of Christ. When we say, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. It is in the same breath. It is in I will help others come to you 
as well. That becomes my new life mission, whether I'm a doctor or a nurse or a teacher or a custodian or a stay-at-home mom or whatever occupation you may have. Your primary mission as a believer is to lead other people to Christ, whether it's by being the salt and light of the world and being an example that they want to follow and then you can give them the answer to the hope that lies within you or whether it's actually giving somebody the straight gospel so they have a hope of escaping eternal separation from God. There's nothing more important on, the, on, on earth. No trophy, no degree, no amount of money, no retirement nest egg, not even our marriage, not even our immediate families. There's nothing more important than a soul being transferred from the powers of darkness into the kingdom of Jesus. But I know it's intimidating. So I want to lift a little pressure this morning off this message of evangelism and tell you that the kingdom of God is a team sport. It is not all up to you. I'm going to give you one of the best examples I think I've ever personally been a part of or even heard about when it comes to somebody coming to Christ. I'm going to show you how you only have a part to play. Once again, everybody raise your hands up like this. Okay, raise your hand. Come on, everybody participate here. Don't be cheeky. All right. Do any of you see light shafts coming through the holes in your hands? Turn and look at your neighbor. Any light shafts coming through the holes of their hands? No. No. Turn to them and say, you are not Jesus, the Savior of the world. All right. I don't know. Hopefully that's not news to anybody. Jesus is the Savior. Everybody said it out loud. Jesus is the Savior. Okay. You and I just have a part to play And there are many links in the chain of somebody coming to Christ. Very rarely does somebody hear the gospel for the first time and all of a sudden they say, yes, to Jesus. It's usually uh, increments of encounters. I'm going to give you an example. The one I was talking about that I think is one of the most dynamic I've ever heard or been a part of. So Francisco Oliveras down here on the front row, he works at General Atomics. And he shared the gospel with a girl there named Martha. And then he comes to the Wednesday night prayer meeting and he says, I, I shared the gospel, the good news with a girl at work and I want us to pray for her. So we're like, okay, let's pray for Martha. So we're all praying for Martha and uh, just asking God to send labors across her path. So, so far we have a coworker sharing the good news with another coworker. Then we have a group praying together for her salvation. The next week, I have jury duty. How many of you love jury duty? Just raise your hands. Isn't that wonderful when you get that notice in the mail? Never try to get out of it. I know you don't. You love to go. And so I love going to jury duty. So I went to jury duty down in El Cajon. And so at lunch, I'm walking down El Cajon, El Cajon Boulevard or wherever it is, Main Street, and uh, looking for a place to eat. And um, I go into this restaurant, I'm standing in line, and then the, my phone rings, and so I answer the phone, and I'm walking, talking, I go outside the restaurant so I can talk, and when I get off the phone, I've walked across the street and to, to the face of another restaurant. I thought, well, that was weird. And then all of a sudden, I saw this girl walking down the street, and I recognized her from the jury pool. And I'm telling you, look, as a pastor, as a married pastor... I don't drive with girls alone. I don't counsel with girls alone. I don't like to be seen with girls alone. It's just not good practice. It's bad form, right? And I turn and I ask her, would you like to eat lunch with me? And I thought to myself, what the blank are you doing? And she kind of looked startled and she said, okay. And I thought, I am going to, I'm going to get in so much trouble. I can't now uninvite her. And so we're sitting down in this restaurant. We're eating lunch together. And I'm thinking, I'm a married man. I'm a pastor. Why did I ask this girl to eat lunch with me? And so I thought, well, let's just get this over with (laughs) as fast as we can. I said, so what's your name? She said, Martha. I said, oh, so it's not clicking yet, right? And I said, so, oh, great. So uh, where do you work? She said, General Atomics. I said, do you know, I know this is crazy because General Atomics has got like 5,000 employees, right? Or more. 
So I thought, I thought this, this isn't happening. I said, do you know uh, Francisco Oliveras? He said, yes, I know Francisco. I said, oh, my God. And I led her to the Lord right there at the table because when she heard the story, she realized how much God loves her, that he would orchestrate this whole thing. Isn't that amazing? But look at all the players. You got Javier, Francisco. His name's actually Javier, but he says only God calls him that, but I call him that too. You guys know him as Francisco. I just let the cat out of the bag. Sorry, Francisco. So you have Javier sharing the gospel with her. The prayer team praying for her. And then me leading her to Christ. You see, it's a team sport. But God orchestrates the whole thing. Isn't that one of the most amazing stories you've ever heard? Let's look at this passage regarding the kingdom of God being the team sport. And this is the first Corinthians. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. Now, there are multiple players and things. And I'll put that back up. There are multiple players and things in this passage can you, can you find them? How many, how many things and people are involved in the Corinthian salvation? Just shout them out. Apollos? Paul? God? What? Say it out loud. Servants? Okay, Jesus, God, same thing. You know the Trinity, right? Okay, just, just checking. What else? Planting? Watering, you're missing a big one. Growing, and the, for me, the biggest of all that you guys haven't even said. Huh? The seed. Everybody say the seed. The seed. What are you planting? What are you watering? What is God causing to grow? The gospel. The message of the gospel. I want to hit three elements in this passage today to help lift the load when it comes to evangelism. So we can see our part, but the power, how God is orchestrating it all. You just have a part to play, but it's a critical part. Everybody's got to play their part. I want to today look at the seed, the sower, and the soil. Everybody say the seed, the sower, the soil. Say it again. The seed, the sower, the soil. Okay, so... First, I want to look at the seed. To me, this is the most important part of all. Because if you don't have anything to sow, there's no sowing necessary. But look at the power of the seed of God. You know, you know what I want to do, uh, Mike? Let's go to Mark chapter 4, verse 13 through 20. Mark chapter 4, verse 13 through 20. Can you get that up there for me, uh, Mike? Mark 4. Jesus says this is how the entire kingdom of God works. I'm not going to expound too much on this. I just want to read it to you real quick so that you can see the comprehensive dynamic, the way the kingdom of God operates. In fact, Jesus says in verse 13, he says, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? Jesus is saying this parable explains the way the entire kingdom of God operates. Let's see what he says. The sower sows the what? The word. So you got a sower, you've got the word. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately to take away the what? The word. We're going to find another word for the word word, and the word is seed. You see how he's using a planting metaphor here. And the seed is the word of God, the gospel that is planted. And it says Satan comes immediately to do what? Take away the seed. Why? 
Because the seed is the key to the salvation of every soul on earth. Satan is after the Word of God because he knows the power of the Word of God is the power of salvation. It's not your personality. It's not your delivery. It's not your theological degree. The gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes it. So Satan comes after the Word. The Bible says that God created the worlds with His Word. Light be! Poof! And light has continued to be created 186,000 miles per second from the second that God said light be. Galaxies are still being created today. Did you know that? It's forever expanding off one word out of God's mouth. And the Bible says that you and I were born again by the Word of God. When we believe that we mix our faith with the message someone gave to us, and boom, on the inside of you, you became a new creature. You were born again. You became a son or daughter of God. It's a miracle. And the seed is the key. Which is why Satan comes after the seed. And if... And so what he tries to do first is shut your mouth so the seed, the word, can't come out of your mouth. So that somebody can't hear it. So they can't believe it. So they can't be born again. Have you guys recognized how excited I am about evangelism? Has that come across at all during this series? <laughs> there's nothing more important on this planet. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that gives me more joy. The only thing that gives me more joy than my love for my children is somebody coming to Christ. And I, I mean that. When, I, when somebody comes to Christ and I've been a part of that, the joy is unspeakable. I think it's because all of heaven is rejoicing on the inside of us. That's what the Bible says. When one sinner repents, all of heaven throws a party. And if Christ lives on inside of us, you feel the joy of God when he gets a new daughter or a new son. And you get to be a part of that process. It's amazing. Okay, so we're going to keep reading. I told you I wasn't going to expound. Verse 16. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves. Afterward, tribulation, persecution arises for the word's sake. Immediately they stumble. These are those sown among thorns. They're the ones that hear the word, and the cares of this world, deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things, enter and choke the word. And it, the word, becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones who sown on good ground, those who hear the word, Accept it, bear fruit, and some 30, 40, uh, 30, 60, 100 fold. Now, look at verse 26 through 29. Again, we're going to see how this kingdom works. And he said, the kingdom of God, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Everybody say seed. Say the word. Say the gospel. Say it's all the same. That's what we're talking about here. The sower sows the seed, and the sower sleeps by night and rises by day, and the seed should sprout and grow, and he himself doesn't even know how. That's true about farming. The farmer knows how the seed, how to create the conditions for the seed to grow, but do you know scientists still today don't even know what causes the seed to grow? It literally is a miracle. The seed dies, then it breaks open, poof, and it will grow right through concrete. You ever been walking down the sidewalk, and you see blacktop and like these... These blades are coming through it. It's like, how in the world? It's a supernatural thing. The seed is a supernatural thing in the spiritual and in the natural. The Word of God is the seed of God. And it grows. We don't cause the seed to grow. You share the gospel with somebody, and then God just starts messing with them. And the seed's on the inside. You shared it with them, that seed is stirring on the inside of their mind. And the Holy Spirit's working. See, the Holy Spirit needs something to work with. You've got to share your story. And then... The grain ripens and immediately you put in the sickle because the harvest has come. And that's what happened with me and Martha. I was the harvester. But you see, I wasn't the sower. I wasn't the waterer. I didn't cause the seed to grow in her. I just showed up when it was time to harvest. Sometimes you're the sower. Sometimes you're the waterer. Sometimes you're the reaper. But God's the grower. Amen. All right. So look what the Bible says about the seed. Then we're going to move to the sower. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful. Say the scripture out with me together. For the word of God 
is living and powerful. Say it again. The Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This book is not a book written by men and women out of their own carnal, natural minds. It's not just ink on paper. This is the Word of the living God. And it is powerful. And it's alive. I remember one time I told the Lord, I don't have any excitement about you whatsoever. I'm just honest with him. I hope you are too, because he already knows. It's not like he found out when you told him. He's like, oh, I thought you were just all, all revived. No, I'm not. Oh, I didn't know. I said, so what do I do? And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, read the Bible one hour, solid, solid one hour a day for seven days straight. And I'm like, that's the worst assignment you could have ever given me. I just told you I'm not excited about you. Now you're telling me to read the Bible. What is this? Penance? Is this some kind of punishment? But I did it. On the seventh day, I could not wait to read the Bible. I was like, wow, what happened inside of me? And the Lord spoke to me and said, you're asking for fire, but you're not putting any wood in the stove. He said, the word is the wood and the Holy Spirit is the wind breathing on the, you're not, you're not, you don't have anything in you for the Holy Spirit to breathe on. And the flame is revelation, which is revival. You see, the Word of God is living and it's powerful. This word powerful here is the word where we get the Greek word energy from or energetic. It's something at work. It's active. It's effective. It's the opposite of idle. How many of you have a two-year-old? Raise your hand. Or a three-year-old. Okay, yeah, you get, yeah. When's the last time you guys got any sleep? You know, you go out to a restaurant and it's like you're just doing this all the time, right? It's like, but, come back here. Come back here. Come back here. Come back here. I remember when Hope and I, I remember when, uh, those, those that are smiling the biggest right now have a two or a three year old. I remember Hope and I, we'd go on a date night and leave the kids with somebody. Literally, I would find my stomach muscles not relaxing until about halfway through the dinner. Right? Because you're always on, right? It's like, and you know the waiters and waitresses that don't have kids. Because they come to the table and they put a glass of water down right in front of your two year old. Bam! Psh, everyone's, it's like, I mean, you know, you gotta like put him, put him in a, in a, in a straight jacket to take him out to a restaurant, right? It's a salt shaker, the pepper shaker, the sugar, you know, your plate, the drink, whatever it might, bam, 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 right? That's the word energy, active, the opposite of idle. That's the word of God. It just doesn't stop. Best illustration I could come up with. Look what Paul says about the Word of God. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing. Watch this. Because when you received the what? Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is in truth, the Word of God, which also effectively, that's the same word as power, the energy, that is energizingly working in you, in you, who believe it. If you're spiritually dead, it's because you're not in the Word. If you're not excited about God, I guarantee you're not in the Word. Facebook, Instagram, television, movies, wherever. It's just entertainment, 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 activities, work. None of that's the Word of God. None of it is the supernatural, living and powerful Word of God. That literally revives your spirit. It charges your faith. It connects you with God. It expands your vision. None of that other stuff does that. The Word of God is God food for your born-again spirit. And it renews your mind to see and think and feel like God does. You need faith? Eat the Word of God. You need vision? Eat the Word of God. You need hope? Eat the Word of God. Amen? Okay, that was point one. All right. The Word of God is the power of God to salvation to they who believe it. Secondly, the sower. You've got to have somebody that takes this supernatural seed, the Bible, the gospel, and sows it. You and I, are we, we have bags of seed that we carry with us everywhere we go. You go to school. You go to work. 
you're at home, you're talking to your neighbors, wherever you go, you're Johnny and Janie Appleseed. I mean, you're carrying this big bag of seed with you. And just think about it. The seed that you're carrying, the gospel, the good news, that Jesus came to the earth to die for our sins, rose from the dead, and He's calling you by name right now. And if you'll receive Him as your Savior, your sins will be completely forgiven. He'll breathe His Spirit into you. You'll be born again. You'll become a son or daughter of God instantaneously. And the day you die, you will meet Jesus face to face, and He will say, Welcome into the eternal kingdom. That's the gospel. It's that simple. It's that easy and that simple. That's the seed that you and I carry with us everywhere we go. And we sit with our friends, we sit with our family members, we sit with strangers, and we never say it for whatever reason, which we've been talking about through the series of why most Christians don't share their faith. But just think about what we're withholding from what everybody on the planet needs more than anything else that they need. Which is the forgiveness of their sins, which only comes through the Jesus that we know and love. Remember, I follow Jesus and I help others follow Jesus. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's our calling. That's the way that we love God back is by helping lead people to his son. So that brings you and I up, the sower. There are usually multiple sowers and waterers culminating in a person's salvation. In my personal salvation, I've told you guys, some of you haven't heard, but I'll just say it quickly. There was a guy at work that kept inviting me to church, and I was thinking, I don't need, that's not what I need. And I finally went just to get him to stop asking me. But before that, there was a, another guy at work that, uh, you know, we get into the truck and we go out to the construction site. And this guy, we used to get stoned all the time. I'd get in the truck, we'd smoke a doobie, and then we'd jump out of the truck, and I would get out in the middle of the freeway and direct traffic for the road crew. <laughs> That's smart. <sighs> anyway, for those of you that thought that I would have been a pastor since I was four, not true. And so I get in the truck one day and I say, hey, man, come on, let's smoke a do before we get out to the freeway. And he said, no, man, I'm not doing that anymore. I said, what? He said, no, I don't do that anymore. And, ah, ha, ha. Said, no, I'm not doing it anymore. I said, why not? He said, because I gave my life to Jesus and, and I, I want to quit for him. I was like, what? That just sounded really weird to me. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I gave my life to Jesus and I'm not going to smoke dope anymore. I was like, you can... Love Jesus and smoke dope at the same time? What are you talking about? I mean, I didn't know because I didn't know Jesus. All I knew was this little plastic Jesus that was on my grandma's dashboard. We were raised Roman Catholic. And I used to sit in the back seat and Jesus would be on the dashboard just looking at me. And this little plastic just freaked me out. That's pretty much the Jesus I knew was that little statue staring at me. And she had a Bible like this big on the dining room table, you know, the, the, the living room table. Scary. But this guy like acted like he had a relationship with him. And it really, really annoyed me that he wouldn't get stoned with me because of Jesus. And then there was a girl that I asked out and she wouldn't go out with me. And I said, why not? She goes, because I went to this camp and I'm, this guy told, told us about, uh, he was so happy. And he, he told us about how he decided to follow Jesus. She, she said, I, want, I, want, I wanted what he had. I'm like, well, that's fine. We can still go out. And she goes, no, we can't. I was so annoyed. This guy won't get stoned with me. And this girl won't go out with me. All because of the Jesus. And so then I asked a friend of mine about Jesus. And she told me about Jesus. So you see the links in the chain here. This girl drew a line in the sand, which made me wonder, wow, why won't she go out with me just because she wants to follow Jesus? This guy... Decides he's not going to get stoned because he wants to follow Jesus. And then this guy at work keeps asking me to church. So God was orchestrating all of this. And all these different players were involved. Some water, some sow, some water, and some reap. But they all have a part to play. Look what Jesus said to the gathering demoniac. The guy Jesus cast some demons out of. Go to your friends and tell them. This is great. This, this demon-possessed guy, after he gets set free, said, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus flips the coin around and says, well, actually, I want you to do the other side of the coin. Go home and tell your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done 
for you and how he has had compassion on you. That's why what we are doing in this series is trying to get every one of you to learn how to give your 15 second testimony. Because sometimes that's all the time you have in between class, at the lunch break, in the elevator, wherever it might be. You can give your 15 second testimony and just throw it out there. Just simply plant the seed. And so we've been asking people every Sunday to come up and give their 15 second testimony. And we've done that for the last couple of weeks. We're going to do it this week and next week and the next week. And then we're going to have a workshop that Stephanie's going to lead. We're bringing a trainer down from, I think, Long Beach. And he's going to tra- do an all day training and, and training how to effectively share your story. So I'm going to ask some 15 second guinea pigs to come up here. Come on, let's go. And, uh, and to share the show, let's welcome these guys up to the stage. And the point is to show you guys, everybody can do this. So we're going to have the most powerful one come up first. Yeah. Hello, my name is Rachel and I grew up in this church for pretty much all my life. Um, but I officially gave my life to God when, um, a youth pastor. I was 10 years old, so your elementary school teacher here at church was like, who wants to accept Jesus? You know, I'm like, sure. So from that day on, it was like no more satisfying myself. I had this hunger inside of me to reach out to others just to show them what love is. I didn't have this, oh, I want to tell them all about God. I just had this love inside of me where I just wanted to show them the love of Jesus. And so that's what changed from before and after, and since then, my heart has just been longing for the body of Christ. Over the years, I've gotten closer to God, and I've learned more about myself and who the body is to to, grow up to God over the years, and it's been amazing. Awesome. Awesome. Rick? Hi, I'm Rick. Um, kind of like John, I was a drug-taking, taking, skirt-chasing a uh, good person that was going to go to heaven. And uh, my dad, I got divorced. My dad told me, go to church and my daughter would have something when me and my ex-wife weren't around. And it took to me, Jesus revealed himself to me. And it wasn't through condemnation. Mm-hmm. It was through just realization of who I was and who he is. And he showed me where he had been all through my life. Mm. And I gave my life to the Lord. And what's different now? Everything. <laughs> walk, my the way I look at things, my consideration, the way I feel about people. Yeah. And I don't take drugs and chase skirts anymore. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Me neither. Rick. Hi, I'm Rick. And uh, before Christ, uh, things just weren't working. My family life was a shambles and dysfunctional. Uh, my circle of friends became filled with shady people and I just didn't like it, and then subsequent breakup of my family left me broken, and I knew there was something else out there better for me, and off a couple of uh, postcards from the gathering place, I said, oh, you know, it looks like maybe a good place to start, so I went, and, and uh, I thought it would just be exploratory kind of a mindset where I just check things out, and man, halfway through the, the, the service, I got body slammed by the, by the Holy Spirit, <laughs> and he just had me in a headlock, and I, I was... <laughs> That was 19 and a half years ago, and you know, I'm still here. And uh, things about me, just like, you know, things, it's just so much better, you know, having Christ in your life. Woo! Awesome, man. Body slam by the Holy Ghost. Come on, Amor. You have to show us someday what the body slam from the Holy Ghost looks like, Rick. Hello, my name's Amor. And before I came to Christ, um, I was empty, and I had very little peace in my heart. I was focused strictly on the world my achievements, as well as my failures. And Hold that right there. <laughs> and throughout my college career and post-college career and working, I had friends that invited me to church and constantly were asking me to go to church. And it wasn't until my six-year-old son asked a very interesting question to my wife. He asked, why did God make me black and Filipino? So it got the wheels turning, a snowball effect, and eventually led us here to the Gathering Place Church where I got saved two years ago. Woo! <laughs> and ever since then, my, I've felt a 
fulfillment in my life. I've never been empty, although I've been tired because God has blessed me with two other children since then. Amen. That's great, Amor. Praise God. That's awesome. See, that 15 second, we call it 15 seconds. The point is a short testimony. You got it right here in your hip pocket. And you just whip it out anytime you just throw it out there. And it's a conversation starter. It's just dropping the seed. You see, your story is the container, the vehicle that carries the gospel. You see that? The seed of the gospel is in your story. This is what happened to the woman at the well. When she met Jesus and she went back and told all the guys at, in the town, I met a man that told me everything. They came out because of her story and the whole town got saved. Do you know that gathering demoniac is interesting? That uh, when Jesus first went to that area and he cast the demon out of the, that guy. And then the demons all went into a bunch of swine, which was their livelihood. They were pig farmers. And all the pigs ran into the seas. They got mad at Jesus because the gospel sometimes rocks your economic world. It rocks your career. It rocks the trajectory that you're on. And so they kicked him out of the region. But then this guy went back and told all of his friends the good things that God did. And do you know Jesus came back to that region? And do you know they came from towns from all over bringing the sick? And the demon possessed and the hurting and Jesus healed them all. And that whole region got the gospel off that one guy's story. And this brings up the last piece. We looked at the seed. We looked at the sower. Now we're looking at the soil. And this is something that you and I can't do anything about other than praying for the hearts and praying against the blinding spirits. The Bible says that somebody doesn't believe the gospel is simply because the God of this age, which would be the devil, has blinded their mind so they can't understand. So you got to pray against, very important piece, you got to pray against demonic influences that are trying to shut. Remember we read, Satan comes immediately to steal the seed. So you and I need to be praying over those in our circles of influence so that you hold back the blinding spirits so they have an opportunity to see and believe the gospel. And this begins up the last piece, which is the soil. Look at the Bible says about the soil. And in First Corinthians three five, after all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? We are only God's servants through whom you believed the good news. And of course we know John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. Everybody say that. God so loved the world. This world that we live in and every soul on it. That's why our motto is changing our world one life at a time. Every single life matters to God. I'm even talking about terrorists. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, whose name was Saul, was a terrorist of the church? Do you know he murdered Christians? And Jesus loved him. He just knew he's lost, lost, lost. And when Jesus touches a life like Saul's, he becomes the greatest apostle of the church. There's no one that's too far for God to reach. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, everybody say whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So. I don't want you and I to say no for anyone. Don't say no, just go. Now this movement that we are part of the Great Commission, one organization has called it No Place Left. And that is where you and I share the gospel until there's no place left to share it. And many times, as didn't Stephanie do an unbelievable job last week preaching? Wasn't that amazing? She talked to us about how we don't say no for anybody. We just give them the gospel and give them their opportunity. So in this movement, they're sending people and teams all over uh, to share the gospel. And I'm going to show you a short video clip and then we're going to close of a couple of young people that went into a neighborhood 
that they said is hopeless. And they said, the gospel can save anybody. Let's watch these guys. Isn't that awesome? So this gospel that we started with in 1 Corinthians, the Corinthians was, Corinth was a city that was beautiful. It was a seaport. It was influential and it was prosperous and it was pleasure-centered and full of idolatry. Can you think of another city that's a seaport? That is beautiful, that is pleasure-centered, and prosperous and influential. Name it if you can think of one. Yeah. So, our, our city, San Diego, is very much like Corinth. If the gospel worked there, the gospel can work here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these um, laborers in the harvest field. Lord, our, our prayer as the leadership of our church is that every one of us who call the Gathering Place Church our church home, and really every believer on the planet, would embrace the identity that we are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, bringing the best news the planet's ever heard. We pray for our circles of influence. We pray for the faces that we see on a daily basis that don't know you, that you begin to open their hearts to be receptive to the gospel. And Lord, we pray for us that we would be obedient and step out, that you would open up opportunities this week Starting today, where we can tell our 15-second story and sow a seed, maybe even water, maybe even reap. We come against the spirit of fear and intimidation. We say, you will not dictate the gospel in our circles of influence. Jesus will. Now, you may be here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. Last week, we had a precious couple come down front, gave their life to Jesus. And I'm going to be standing right down front here. If you have never given your life to Jesus and you want to do that today, I want to pray with you. And I'm going to say this last thing, and then we're going to, be, we're going to go. So I was holding a Bible study before church uh, for what I called Marketplace Ministers for a while. And that is businessmen and women who I wanted to convince them that their workplace was their mission field. 
And it took a while for them to, to own that. I pray it doesn't take you any time at all to realize that where you work, where you play, where you go is your mission field. That's why we have a sign out front as you leave the campus that says you're now entering the mission field. When I thought about the sower, the water, and the reaper, and one of our church members said, well, I'm not a reaper. She goes, I'm a sower. I said, what? She goes, yeah, I heard a sermon 30 years ago where the preacher said some are sowers, some are waters, and some are reapers, and I determined that day I'm a sower. And we all ganged up on her. We said, that is not true. And she got mad. She said, yes, God has told me I'm a sower, I'm not a reaper. And we said, well, that's not God. And she got mad at us, but we wouldn't let her off the hook. We said, no way. Sometimes you're a sower, sometimes you're water, sometimes you're a reaper, you got to reap. And so she finally gave in. She worked in hospice. Do you understand what hospice is? They're this close to eternity. And she said... I would have people right up to the edge of receiving Christ, but I didn't ask them if they wanted to because I didn't believe I was a reaper. After we rebuked her in Jesus' mighty name, she ended up leading more people to Christ than the entire group combined. Once she was set free from this lie. And you know the first person she led to the Lord? Her Catholic grandma. She said she had had her grandma to the line so many times that she never asked her, would you like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Because she didn't think that was her identity. We're all sowers, we're all waterers, and we're all reapers in God's harvest. Amen. I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down front. And uh, if you have sickness in your body, there's a flu going around, come on, let's knock some of that out. Come down and go with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon you. You receive your prayer language, operating the gifts of the Spirit, being able to lay hands on the sick and healing people. That's Mark's going to do a power evangelism message in a couple of weeks, teaching about how miracles bring people to Christ and how you can work in the miraculous. You want to come down and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Come down and have prayer for your physical body. Come down for salvation. Come down for whatever need you might have. Prayer teams will be down front here. Go to a connect group this week, and I'll see you next Sunday. God bless.